Jumanji. A game for those who seek to find a way to leave their world behind. You roll the dice to move your token, doubles gets another turn, and the first player to reach the end wins. You want to play? Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. Uh, I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 59. The movie this week was Jumanji from 1995, and joining me on loan from FilmSack is Brian. Wow, those were some big mosquitoes, Ibit. <laughs> hey, hey, it's good to do. I get to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say TV's Travis. I'm just gonna call you Travis. That's fine. Do I call you Travis? Do I call you TV's Travis? No, Travis is good. Okay. Because um, I'm seeing you on TV, so I don't know if that's this true. <laughs> it's not just a clever name. Um, that's right. Yeah. So Jumanji. Uh, so you'd never seen this before. I had never seen it before, and um, it's surprising because this is one of those movies that. I felt like I'd seen before because the um, the special effects were so uh, present when the movie came out. There were so many specials about how they made the rhinos running around, you know, down the down the street and um, and the the spiders and things like that. And uh, so I feel like I saw so many clips of the making of Jumanji just in regular life that that I felt like I saw the movie, but man, you get into it and there's so much more to it. I didn't know the whole story behind it. I thought, all right, Robin Williams is some, you know, uh, some huckster who's got a game that pulls kids into the jungle or something. All right, whatever. And it's com- almost completely the opposite of that right. basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So were you familiar with the book at all? That this no, is based on? No, okay. not at all. Not at all. Was, as, as a matter of fact, uh, did not even realize that it was based on a book. I, to be honest, if you would have said it was based on a board game, I would have said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so um, I remember, so the book was published in 1981, and I remember okay. reading it when I was in uh, elementary school. We had a copy in my library, and it was, it was a fun little book because it had a lot of elements that were in the movie come directly from the book, the monkeys and the lion and all that kind of stuff all happened in the book, but the book is self-contained. It all just basically happens inside the house. Mm-hmm. There is no Alan. There is nobody getting sucked into the game or anything like that. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah, the book is is a little bit different. It's shorter. It's basically a picture book. Mm-hmm. But I, I remembered it finally. So when this movie came out, I was all about seeing it. And it was very different. But, man, it. I remember liking it a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Not quite as good now. <laughs> not so much, yeah. Does not, it, not uh, quite does it doesn't quite hold up? Um, I could see that. And... Um, for me, you know, you look at some of that stuff and there's a big nostalgia mm. aspect to it. You know, if you grew up with something, it's really hard for you to look, turn around and say, wow, that just does not hold up. Um, but I could see that probably from a technical sp- uh, standpoint, um, I mean, the story itself is good, serves the serves the story well. It's a good way to turn um, a board game into a book, into a movie, you know, that 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 uh, that story. Yeah. Uh, I know it wasn't a board game, but I'm just... I, they probably did make a board game out of it. I'm I sure think, they did. I think after the movie came out, they did, yeah. Yeah, they would have had to. I mean, the perfect licensing right. uh, uh, <laughs> thing to do. But the um, but it's it's a way to inject 
a deeper story when you've got two hours to fill as opposed to a children's book that's going to be a lot shorter having mm -hmm. robin williams be this kid who's kind of been trapped in this uh in this game for 26 years or whatever it turned out to be and um uh but the special effects are probably the technical thing right oh the yeah thing that that you look at it compared to today's uh, special effects and think, wow, okay, we have really come a long way in 15 years, 25 years, I guess it is. Yeah, and you look at, I mean, there's a lot of animal work in this, right? There's a lot of there CG is. animals. Yeah. There were there were no real animals used. They were either CG or they had like puppets. Okay. And both of those things have come so far since this movie was made. Like watching this yeah. now, I had a couple notes I wrote down like, wow, those monkeys... Uh, look terrible the monkeys the monkeys and the spiders were the oh, two man. things that i thought wow and the spiders were uh they had to be um physical special effects as opposed yeah, to digital i'm right? pretty sure those yeah. were a puppet of some kind they were yeah bad. and they were really bad <laughs> my wife was normally scared of spiders in movies uh they, they freak her out i mean real life too but mm -hmm. in movies they can really freak her out and uh she started laughing at those. So, you know, you failed. If if someone who even like freaks out at a CGI spider starts laughing at your That's little fake actually rubbers. exactly what my reaction was because I don't yeah. like spiders. And like I'm I'm in the middle of writing a note, like I would just burn the house down and I I, I glance back up and I just start laughing because they just look <laughs> they look like toys. They just skitter like in a way that that you know their their feet aren't really making contact <laughs> yeah, with the exactly. floor. It's kinda like a little puppet that's getting shaken down the uh down the way. Now, some of the CG, like especially for the time, the the stampede looked really good, and they did the such a fantastic job with it crushing that car. Yeah, and that was one yeah. of the big set pieces. So it was, it was kind of hit or miss on on whether the CG worked or not. That um, was one of the one of the things that I remember seeing over and over and over again mm -hmm. were the was the stampede and in those making of uh documentary or making of uh shows yeah um because that was that that scene is like that's the that's the highlight you put on your resume if you worked on the special effects for this film mm -hmm. yeah and you know this was a director who is known for special effects it was joe johnston uh directed mm -hmm. this and he got started with honey i shrunk the kids okay um and then went on to do the rocketeer um he did all the live action for the page master um, okay did this uh jurassic park 3 was him okay. um and okay. but the the thing that i think is might be my favorite movie of his at this point uh is captain america the first avenger with oh Joe Johnston. yeah without a doubt yeah so, of all the ones you've named wow that's a uh that's a that's a big jump from uh you know um jumanji and jurassic park 3 to uh to captain america going into to a less well, I mean, I guess Jurassic Park is kind of lit, that bridge between, all right, here's a movie that we're really pulling in the families for. And then Jurassic Park is, yeah, families, but we want those those geeks. And then Captain America, we want the comic book geeks to. Yeah, and he did also, <laughs> um, he did the remake of The Wolfman uh, the year before Captain America. So It's the uh, Benicio Del Toro yeah. one? Which, gotcha, that, okay. that wasn't very good. Yeah, never saw it. Don't <laughs> save yourself. Is there a scene where Benicio del Toro runs down the street and smashes a car in a <laughs> yeah no stampede? No, okay. Um, but you know, I I would say overall, I like his work. I love The Rocketeer. That's that's mm -hmm. a movie that yeah. I I actually want to go back and watch again because I haven't seen it in years. So directing directing wise, I thought um, he did a fine job. the yeah. The story was co written by the author of the book. Um, okay. But uh, the screenplay was, it was okay. Mm -hmm. I thought 
you know, the story itself is a very simple story, but there were moments that just, I don't know, it felt too much like a movie, um, too tropey. I'm trying to think of some of the, the tropey, like extra tropey moments that really bugged me. Um, sure. Cause there were, there were a few of them. <laughs> I mean, it. It um, when you say it's by the same director who did Honey, I Shrunk the, Ki- Shrunk the Kids, I can absolutely see that. So it, it is surprising, Rocketeer, but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is another one of those movies that feels like it's a movie, like you're describing. You know, very yeah. full of tropes, cute story, but but uh, uh, tropey is all I get out. Yeah. Oh, one that got me, and it was uh, so when he goes into the factory and the factory's all abandoned, and he thinks he sees his dad and runs up there, and it's just a squatter just some dude living in there mm-hmm. um right. that fine whatever i can i can let that go but then that guy the way he interacted with him was just it's like no human being would do that like <laughs> oh are the parishes still around oh yeah i see him occasionally and right like that right. hope of like really yeah they're on adam street uh no <laughs> no that no nobody no squatter keeps track of the uh the map of the neighborhood that well right. either <laughs> no no they're like i know i know where my food is and i know exactly where- <laughs> Right. Where I can get my booze, and that's it. Are you gonna Are you gonna tell anybody that I live here? Okay, because if you do, I'm gonna have to kill you. Oh, uh, um, that and like there was the fourth wall break with the kid. Um, there was two moments I actually had to pause the movie because they made me groan that hard when he, okay. um, when the little kid runs up and grabs the axe and he goes mm-hmm. to open the shed door and then realizes mm-hmm. he has the axe in his hand. There's a okay. shot where he yeah. literally he just fourth wall breaks, stares at the camera, and then runs off. Oh really? Okay, I and missed. Like, I, I didn't catch that as a fourth wall. It totally sounds like it, but I didn't catch it as a fourth wall. Break. So I, like yeah. that one, I had to pause, and then there was another one that I wrote it down to. I did really hope that we didn't see what was under Robin Williams' loincloth when he was running down the street. <laughs> that was frightening. Yeah, me. I mean, yeah. he was wearing a full body sweater, but still. Exactly. The guy is so hairy. I don't know if he'd <laughs> be able to see anything really. Oh, um, it was in the. The the whole th- everything in that discount store was like okay. that same thing yeah. where it feels like a movie like like uh, like Home Alone, right. S- right? Spreading the goo on the ground yeah. so that uh, the the uh, what's his face uh, 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 slips on it and falls. Um, I didn't remember it being right. that slapsticky. Like I did not remember any really? of that at all. Because yeah. mm-hmm. there's moments with the the humor and like the first act, I thought was pretty well paced and pretty well structured. It didn't mm-hmm. get overly slapstick, but like that felt out of place i think once you get the animals involved you kind of you have to go that route and that's kind of where the family the family movie really uh accelerates you know where it turns into kind of the like you said kind of the home alone Mm -hmm. honey i shrink the kids that sort of thing they've got to they've got to pull that It, it was one of the first and and uh i think the only time the only time in movies I've ever seen um, one of these fish out of water, something supernatural takes somebody from a place that they know into something that they don't expect or something that that's completely foreign to them. Right. Then the end of the movie comes back. They've restored things back to normal. They're the only ones who have that memory of yeah, both the old version of the way things were and the new version of the way things were. Right. This is the first time I can remember two people having that Bonnie Hunt and uh, Robin Williams at yeah. the end, both having the, the fish out of water memory, the time travel, like, no, those kids don't exist in this timeline yet. Like, oh, okay, wow, both people? Yeah, uh, there were some weird rules to, like, the magic in this universe. <laughs> right. Okay, so they can remember, but the kids don't remember? And... Right. The, the kids don't remember. <laughs> they they remember. The um, right. There was, uh, you know, who who can hear the drums, who can hear the game? Like, right. 
they could right. hear it, but adults couldn't. But some adults did eventually. I don't know. I that confused me a little bit. Um, I I think it's almost like this movie wasn't quite sure how family friendly it wanted to be. Because mm-hmm. it was it was aimed for kids. It was a kids book, sure. but sure. it got kind of scary in parts. Like uh, I read somewhere that Robin Williams didn't let his kid uh, see it for a little while. Um, yeah, I mean, right from the get go, when you get the um, the bats uh, flying out yeah. of the uh, the fireplace, I can see smaller kids that probably you would you would easily think this movie would be totally appropriate for, uh, freaking out about that in the movie theater and uh, uh, snakes and uh, uh, roots kind of growing in and pulling things apart, smashing police cars and <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, um, boy, and uh, the police car, oh, man, that thing went through some. <laughs> some hell <laughs> was this this had to be one of david allen greer's earliest movie things after in living color because he he'd only done in living color up to this point right i think so i or and i had completely off, had been, yeah. i had completely forgotten that he was in this movie him and um babe newworth oh I, yeah uh, right. It, right i mean one of my notes was just like lilith well, right. <laughs> i don't remember right. her in this um yeah a lot of tv stuff actually i guess a lot of tv stuff and a lot of uh a lot of movie stuff. Boomerang, the player in the army now. Oh, good. You know, he's in a Polly Shore movie. No, yeah. yeah. Uh. Good, good for him. <laughs> right. Oh, and you know, he was fine. Like I didn't have a problem with yeah. David Allen Greer. It was he. No, not at all. He got a little, little goofy, but it fit the 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 overall tone of the movie. I mean, Robin right. Williams is who's carrying this, right? He's you. You right. kind of at what you're banking everything on. I did write, make myself a note. I was like. I don't know how well I would remember this movie if it wasn't Robin Williams and his energy, the way he could play that kind of a man child worked right. so yes. well for this. And this was before he did Jack. This right. Was the year before and, that. And right around the time of Hook, right? It was Hook. Uh... Hook was 91. So it was a couple of years 91. after Hook. Okay. But it okay. was right in that like. But still close enough where he's still kind of playing that fish out of water boy child right our man child you know uh, uh peter pan uh kind of thing so there was a little bit of a connection there which we had just watched uh, recently for film sack so that that connection was a little odd yeah oh, i bet um yeah he still had a lot of that energy that he hadn't quite hit like mm-hmm. it, for me it was around like goodwill hunting when he started to um transition into the the later half of his career and right. he still had energy, but he didn't have quite that same youthful energy that he had. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, because he started doing all the serious stuff. Like, yeah. um, I mean, the serious stuff-ish, but he did the What uh, what Dreams May Come, the, um, uh, what was the one where he's like a, uh, a, a killer in uh, Alaska? One hour oh, photo? Insomnia. Insomnia, that's it, yes. There, there was one hour photo too, though, so. One hour photo, but yeah, but Insomnia was the one in, in Alaska. Yeah, I mean, it, it uh, he just went dark for a he while did. and, and <laughs> kind of said, you know, I'm tired of doing the little slapsticky kid stuff. Patch Adams kind of was the, again, we talked about bridges. That was kind of the bridge yeah. between uh, the old and the new. Yeah, it was. Um, and he's, look, he's a ton of fun in this. I, I will watch anything with Robin Williams. Um, this is actually the first Robin Williams we've done for this show. And I almost kind of want to oh, do really? like a Robin Williams month um, yeah. just because he's got so many varying movies um it, you're gonna not... find somebody who hasn't seen mrs doubtfire that's that's gonna be the uh <laughs> that's gonna be the next one that might be actually 
You know what's funny? I'm looking through it. Um, another one that is one that I know, like everybody else has seen this movie, but I've never seen The Birdcage. And, oh. Uh, uh, everybody I know raves about it. Nathan Lane and and uh, Robin Williams and, um, you know, came out one year after this and was, yeah. again, probably more of an adult, certainly more of an adult uh, oriented oh, film. Much more. Um, <laughs> I don't know how familiar with it you are at all, but that's actually one of my favorite Robin Williams movies. Is oh, really? The okay. Um, so funny, uh, well, not a funny story, but the day that I, um, they announced him passing away, I mm-hmm. was out for a drive with my girlfriend at the time. We hear it on the radio, and we immediately look at each other and like, all right, what Robin Williams movie are we watching tonight? Like, we're going to go home and watch one. So she brought up What Dreams May Come, because mm-hmm. that's her one of her favorite movies ever. I was like, no. Wow. Nope. I don't want to cry tonight, <laughs> and I'll cry. And that's a rough movie. That is a I mean, rough one. It is so beautiful, but it is uh, it is really, really rough. Yeah. So I said, nope, I want to laugh tonight. We're going to watch The Birdcage. And that's good. That That is... For me, that's one of my favorites because it's got that right mix of crazy Robin Williams energy, but he can get serious in it at the at the right moments, which he was just a master at. It, that's one you got to yeah. see, definitely. Yeah, I'll put it on my list. Uh, Fisher King for me is is that mm. uh, that crossover is that dual because Robin Williams again doing the same thing you just described, going from really really crazy to extremely serious and dark in parts. And uh, got another one that probably would make me cry if I were to watch it right now. That's a good one too, though. There, there's is. a lot. Yeah. I mean, there is. And he yeah. he had such a varied career that he had because uh, you look at Fisher King came out almost the same year. I think it was the same year as Hook. It did come out the same year as Hook. Yeah, we were <laughs> talking about that on Film Sack. That was such a a different thing. And Dead Again, which was a uh, Kenneth Branagh, Emma uh, Emma Thompson, um, boy, oh, wow. not really rom com, but rom thriller kind of thing, hmm. and. Uh, and he was playing a, a really dark character in that one, if I remember correctly. He turned out to be, spoiler alert, he turns out to be the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did that more than people it. thought. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't really think about it, but he did do that fairly often. Was it Death to Smoochie was another one like kind of <laughs> like that? Right, yeah. Uh, which, I guess if you've got... You know, if you've got Robin Williams signed up for your movie and you can be the first director to use him in a role where it surprises people that he goes dark, that's the that's what you want to be. Yeah. You don't want to be the director who gets him for the twentieth time, <laughs> right. showing that he's the surprise. The surprise ending is that uh, Mork is is a bad guy. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, Mork and Mindy just uh, you know right up the street here, uh, Boulder, Colorado, just uh, about uh, twenty minutes north of where I where I live right here. Oh. You can go up to the Mork and Mindy house. I did not Where know they, that. That's pretty cool. They shot a couple uh, exteriors up here in Boulder. I mean, everything else was a Burbank right. you know, stage or something, but but the uh, exteriors were were all here. Boulder, Colorado, the Pearl Street Mall, things like that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Kirsten Dunst. This was one of her earlier movies. She had done um, yeah. Star Trek. No, oh. I think this was before this was Interview before? with the Vampire. Okay. Um, I. I thought she was pretty good in this, playing that uh, kind of precocious kid, but the one that is sort of a, a compulsive liar, too. Like, mm-hmm. she's always making up the stories. Right. The, it, I thought, and this was something that I didn't know until I was reading some trivia. So she's playing, like, a 12-year-old, and she was about 12, 13 at the time. The brother was playing, what, like, probably eight or nine? Mm-hmm. He's six months younger than her. 
<laughs> really and they look like there's so much uh yeah, there's so much like of a difference five inches taller than him <laughs> uh that's crazy and, and this was uh this was certainly something i didn't know that she was in so it was a couple minutes after after she makes an appearance that i finally realized oh my god that is Kristen dunst because uh uh, yeah, she still looks the same, but she <laughs> it's different enough that it wasn't yeah. a quick. Yeah, a and, if, and, and I always forget that she did that um, that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation until I see it. And I'm right. like, that's right. She right. was like 11, I think, when she made that or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the kids were fi- were pretty good in this. Um, mm-hmm. The the line of, um, well, maybe she'll know where Sarah is because she's a psychic, which mm-hmm. <laughs> cracked me up. <laughs> Apparently that was improv. The kid came oh, up with that really? on the spot. Oh, that's cool. Which is great. He he had done um, voice acting prior to this, or maybe it was after this, for Sonic the Hedgehog, um, which I had no idea. Oh, really? Yeah. He, okay. He did um, Tails in Sonic the Hedgehog okay. cartoons. So. In the actual, in the cartoons. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Um, oh, he yeah, was Chip uh, in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, okay. okay. So, yeah, he, would, he had so, definitely been doing uh, voice work prior to that. Uh, hats off to um, uh, to Joe Johnston then for uh, doing a good job directing kids. Again, you know, experience with uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and yeah. uh, I guess in Jurassic Park three, you don't get the the kind of that same sister brother dynamic that you had in the first Jurassic Park, which was kind of like this sister brother dynamic in Jumanji. But um, oh, it's true. You know, it's uh, it's it's certainly a. Um, it's a tough thing to direct kids and not have them be over the top in a movie like this or under underwhelming. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought uh, the kids, both the Kirsten Dunst and um, I guess Bradley Pierce is the, is the little brother yep. as well as the younger versions of uh, Robin Williams and, and Bonnie Hunt. Yeah. And that was the one I'm that kid that played the young Alan. I've seen him somewhere and I cannot for the life of me, remember where. Let's see. Adam Hanbird, <laughs> which is That's worth two in the bush. <laughs> uh, he was, uh, let's see. He was also in Little Man Tate. He was the Little Man Tate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes sense. It's funny. He's got more, um, his writing credits are actually what come up as more prominent. He's written a lot of uh, um, shows for episodes for the morning after, Batgirl spoiled. Let's see. Actor, 14 credits in acting. Uh, Little Man Tate being the first thing. Uh, Halloween H two O from nineteen ninety eight. I have a feeling Maybe. that's what it is. Is it okay? I, I have a feeling like yeah. that's probably where I saw him was was mm-hmm. in that because I do remember yeah. I went and saw that in the theater. So gotcha. <laughs> I was one of the few that did. Um, probably no surprise that I haven't seen that one. I have seen a, few, a couple of the Halloween films, but yeah, I've no, not that seen the uh, yeah H two O is uh, <laughs> one of the that one the doesn't lessers. surprise me at all. Right. Um, <laughs> So in true IMDb trivia fashion, there's a bunch of names that were up for um, consideration for uh, the part of Alan. And uh, okay. l- let me read a few of these to you. Sure. Some of them make sense, and there's a couple that I don't think are, are legit. So Tom Hanks. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. And I can, and I can actually that. see him do it, doing mm-hmm. it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Uh, 1995 Dan Aykroyd, No. Uh, no, but you know Dan Aykroyd would have been a great uh, uh, pick for the Jonathan Hyde. Um, oh yeah, character. Dan yeah, Pelt he, would have been a great Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, Chevy Chase, 
No. Mm, no. I can't see It that. seems like somebody's just going down the list of uh, yeah. excited live actors. Oh, <laughs> really? Okay. Kevin Costner. No, definitely not. Um, Sean Connery. Now, I could see Sean Connery in the Jonathan Hyde role. Yes, right. Um, Harrison Ford. I don't he's, see him doing the slipping be. on the, uh, the, the cleaning liquid in the convenience store, though. No, I don't see that. <laughs> but then again, it wasn't too long after this movie came out that he was in the Avengers in a bear suit. Right, so right. who knows? <laughs> right, good point. Okay. <laughs> Another one I saw in the theater, unfortunately. Um, Same here, yeah. Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Michael Keaton. That one okay, Michael me. Keaton's not bad. Yeah. No. Bill Paxton and yeah. um, sorry, Arnold Schwarzenegger, really? Of, of, course. of course. Because because somebody goes down the list. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I, I really wonder how much of this is, even if it's true that they might have said, all right, here's a list of all the people that we could maybe get for this movie. Yeah. Uh, they, they, it probably was a first pass of the list where they X'd out a lot of those names before yeah. they even contacted any agents or anything like that. Uh, the last two were actually Bruce Willis and Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston interests That's me early because yeah. because of how young he would have been at this point. Um, right. I'm trying to think. Yeah, at this point, at this point, we would have just had him in Seinfeld as uh, uh, Tim Watley, right? I think so. Yeah. So uh, it's hard to it say. Pre, I mean, pre Malcolm in the Middle. Of of any of those names, I can see Tom Hanks and Michael mm-hmm. Keaton, and I think because Tom Hanks could was still. He was. This would have been post uh, Forrest Gump, but he still has. You know, he has that same kind of like childish energy that he can get, and yeah, yeah, the right the right mentality to to find that. But yeah, some of those like Mel Gibson, uh, Michael Keaton would have been an interesting pick because it would have. Um, I mean, I feel like Michael Keaton's comedy stuff always was a little more edgier than a Robin Williams or a Tom Hanks that sort of thing. You know, Mr. Mom felt like even though there was some kid stuff in it, it's like, oh, this doesn't feel like a movie that's targeted towards me as a kid or, you know, right. yeah. uh, or towards kids watching it. Um, so I kind of like that. I kind of like that pick. I think the PG-13 <clears throat> version would have been Michael Keaton. Right, exactly. Although this yeah. movie got kind of, um, Roger Ebert kind of raked it over the coals for being too scary. So he mm-hmm. did not rate this well. He gave it like one and a half stars out of four. Oh, whatever. really? He didn't like it because he he thought that it was too effects driven and too scary for young kids, which is what they were aiming it for. But the story wasn't sophisticated enough for adults. Um, I mean, I can see adjusting the rating based on <clears throat> to being too effect FX heavy, but to adjust the rating because it's being marketed incorrectly, I feel is a does not make it a bad movie. It just makes it bad marketing. Yeah, no, I you would know, agree with that. To, and yeah. my my uh, assessment after watching it was like. It's not a bad movie. It's no. not great no. either. Mm-hmm. I think without Robin Williams, it's not as memorable. Yeah. But it's certainly passable and a, and a fun movie. I mean, I had oh, a good time sure. with it. Um, I'm really, I, I almost want the movie of what's going on in this town outside of the house. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I want a movie from the perspective of people like, <laughs> just all There's, of a sudden all these right you know mosquitoes <laughs> the size of small dogs flying around and right, a stampede can, uh, that goes through and then like the earthquake that splits yes. the house in half like all of that and <laughs> and it all happens in a day like that would be a fun movie to watch now not having seen because i hadn't seen this one 
um, I, I hadn't seen or have not yet seen the uh, the sequels or are they sequels? The Jumanji, uh, The Rock, and uh, yeah, so uh, Jack Black. I have seen one of the two. Um, I saw okay. the first one called Welcome to the Jungle, and it is a direct sequel to this. It um, is okay. It picks up the story from like a year later, but then it modernizes it. The game becomes a video game. Okay. And the the kids that are involved in it are like more high school aged and get sucked into the video game. Um, it's sure. at, Welcome to the Jungle was good. I enjoyed it. Okay. All um, right. It's definitely worth seeing. It's more of an action adventure than even this was. Um, sure. But it's definitely good. And I'm curious to see the, the newer one because I read somewhere that um, Babe Newworth comes back. Her character oh, really? does. Because she's like the only one that you have no idea what happened to her in the alternate timeline. Right. Yes. Yeah. We get the kids. We see the kids. We see, of course, uh, Bonnie Hunt and Robin Williams and the dad and all that stuff. But we don't get the uh, we don't know what happens to, to Aunt uh, Aunt BB New Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Aunt Lilith. Aunt Lilith. Right. <laughs> I guess Nora. OK. Nora Shepard. Nora Shepard. Okay. Um, Aunt Nora. And there was a Blu-ray release of this that came out a couple of years ago that had deleted scenes. And one of them showed uh, David Allen Greer is like a a head honcho at the shoe factory uh-huh, because obviously right. he doesn't get fired for oh in the in the new sneakers. timeline yeah sure. in the new timeline right he gets promoted because he comes comes up with the, the killer shoe and, yeah uh, yeah i love the uh the idea that he had this prototype shoe and he pulls it out and it looks like a 1990s uh era <laughs> yeah, right sneaker. exactly it's air jordan like, or whatever yeah, right like yeah 10 years before uh or however many years before whatever when uh was it bill bowerman founded nike uh, Okay, because um, I that and that story I know because of a bunch of stuff. Because I I ran a lot in high school, so sure. one of the um and there was two movies that came out right around the same time about Steve Prefontaine, who was a runner at the University of Oregon when Bill Bowerman created the company of Nike. Hmm. Um, okay, and but that was like the seventies, I think. But yeah, I love that he pulls that shoe out and it's like pristine and goes into that <laughs> machine and just gets shredded. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, 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 you know, when you realize, all right, they're in 1969 and this is, uh, yeah. this is the shoe. It's, uh, it's brilliant. It's really, really funny. <laughs> um, what did, oh, another thing that, uh, was one of those, like no human would ever do this type reactions. Uh, the, the exterminator in the house with the kids and he's up oh, in the right, attic yeah. and then he starts talking about, uh-huh. oh, I wouldn't want to live in a house where somebody got murdered. <laughs> right. What are you doing? No, no. no guy, no nobody ever just kind of handily throws that out with a couple of kids like yeah, yeah boy. Casually drop about, you know, the dad killing his son and chopping him up into pieces. Like, no. Uh so that's a guy, James Handy, who also was in the Rocketeer. So he's kind of like oh. a um a Joe Johnston uh favorite. And he was also in Arachnophobia, but he did not play an exterminator in Arachnophobia. <laughs> Certainly could have. They, <laughs> they needed him. They had that role. They needed him. Exactly. Um, John Goodman for that, but still could have been uh, an assistant or something. Yeah. So the music in this was um, James Horner, and he okay. had worked with Joe Johnston on The Rocketeer. Um, I know that because I love the the uh, soundtrack to The Rocketeer. Yeah. And I like James yeah. Horner. Um, yeah. He's always done a lot of really good uh, – he's kind of one of those almost underrated um, composers, in my opinion. Like, he does stuff that you recognize when you hear it, but he doesn't get the fame of a John Williams or a Howard Shore or uh, Hans Zimmer, for instance. Right, right. And I like um, the music in this. No, I thought it was great. Um, appropriate 
you know, certainly mm-hmm. appropriate for, um, uh, didn't feel out of date, didn't feel out of place. Um, we just watched, uh, for, for film sec, just watched, uh, Nighthawks, which had a score by Keith Emerson from Emerson, Lincoln Palmer. So mm-hmm. you'd expect the score to be kind of proggy, which it was. And, distracting in some places um this totally not distracting howard shore did a great job with it and that's that's kind of howard shore's thing like he mm-hmm. he does kind of classic scores um mm-hmm. pardon me the the rocketeer is the one i always come to because i just love that theme and uh a ton so and he keeps it and he he does that one if i remember correctly really period style too right mm-hmm. for um for the time period that that all takes place in 40s 50s late 40s yeah Yep, he definitely did. Mid mid forties, um, which is really cool. Yeah, I need to go back and listen to that soundtrack because I, I, I'm with you. I love that movie. Yeah, that um, that's an underrated um, comic book adaptation from a time when really, they, you know, you weren't getting. Obviously, you weren't getting the comic book adaptations we are now. But that was I when I saw it, I had no idea it was based on a comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a, a good faithful one, and I really thought at the time, and I was. 90 was 91 i think mm-hmm. so you know i was 10 11 12 years old and i thought that that guy was going to go on and have a huge career i can't remember his name now that tells you all you need to know i think the uh, the the uh main character billy yeah, campbell, billy campbell. Mm-hmm. that's his name yeah because mm-hmm. he just had that look and it felt like you know it, it was, was great casting um jennifer Connolly as uh as jenny and and you know from the original dave stevens uh uh comic book that shot of you know jenny posing for the photographer it's like that is like dead on mm-hmm. right from the comic book they did perfect casting with with her for that role plus it had one of my favorite one-liners i think in film history and it's timothy dalton saying happy valentine's day when he offs paul sorvino it, oh, for really? what, okay. like I don't know why for me that's such a memorable <laughs> one. I just it's stuck with me for whatever it is to almost thirty years now. Right. Oh, because he's Val- Eddie Valentine. Yeah. Right? Yes. And he tells him Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, and... I need to watch that again. That that's such a fun movie. It really is. I don't know if yeah. it's streaming anywhere. I'll have to look. Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to really say about uh, Jumanji. It was, mm-hmm. it was fun. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Oh, there was a goof. I don't know if you saw it or not. I'd never seen it until watching it this time. When okay. he's getting the kids down off the chandelier after the monsoon scene and the wrestling right. the alligator, I don't know if you mm-hmm. caught the uh, like production assistant's hand in the bottom of the frame. <laughs> no, he gets really? Kirsten Dunst down and sets her down, and you see this hand come into the bottom of the frame and then like back away. Like He comes in to steady her, and I was like, wait a minute. I backed it up. I'd oh, ne- that's hilarious. I'd never seen it before. No, I definitely missed that, but uh, I love seeing stuff like that, especially with a movie that you've seen a bunch of times and you catch something like that for the first time. Yeah, you know, I I really enjoy. It. I'm glad I I'm glad I finally got around to seeing it. It's been you know one of those that uh, that people always I don't know about shame me, but you know you probably have a term for this for doing this show where people constantly are surprised that that you know you haven't seen what you haven't seen yeah like, it's wait, uh, wait you haven't seen yeah it's the yeah. list of shame that's usually what i yeah. open with is list like well shame. what's what's on yeah. your list of shame what's something you haven't seen that you thought you had or should yeah. have and yeah. this came up because you were i think you were talking on tms about the the newer well um jumanji movie and you right. mentioned you uh-huh. hadn't seen any of them i was like wait a minute mm-hmm. 
Now Perfect. finding out you hadn't seen Birdcage. <laughs> that's even more surprising because that I know for I don't some think reason I'm gonna wait until you invite me back on the show I think I might have to see it before then <laughs> yeah no don't wait go ahead and see it but that surprises me a little just because it feels like something you would really like I think it is because um again I'm a big fan of uh Nathan Lane of course uh, Robin Williams and um Miami I know it takes place in Miami uh I know there's there's uh dancing in it <laughs> yep. Gene, Gene Hackman Gene Hackman, that's right, yep. And Hank Azaria. Um, see, yeah, it's, I don't so. know why I haven't. And it is, it's streaming right now on Amazon Prime, so oh, well, I have no excuse whatsoever <laughs> to watch it. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a shorter episode this week, but there's not a whole lot more to say. It's a fun movie. It's Robin Williams in the midst of, you know, mid-90s Robin Williams, where it, and it isn't, I think the big thing for me was it wasn't the Robin Williams formula, like Patch Adams mm-hmm or right. um you know something along those lines it, or, uh, right yeah it was a different he could still do the serious parts he could still do the goofy parts but it didn't mm-hmm. feel it didn't feel preachy like patch adams kind of got to at certain points um, right and i appreciate yeah, i mean they, they they touch on making sure that you face your fears and don't let your fear rule you and 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 that sort of thing but um but it didn't dwell in that as much yeah which it I, easily could have it yeah. could have. And I think if, again, like maybe the PG 13 version of it goes a little more into that as like the character journey and less mm-hmm. about the, this, you know, moving from one set piece to another, um, which the sure. kind of family version is more for, cause you want to keep the kids entertained. Yeah. Makes um, sense. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fun, good, it's a good fun movie and you should see the, the sequels because I do like how they uh, integrated the story of this, into kind of the early parts of that first sequel updating it to, to be a video game yeah i'm curious of how uh, as to how the uh if it is a sequel how they get it from being a board game into a um into a video game and stuff like this you always got to worry with how much they have to dumb down video games for the average person who sees a yeah. movie you know so we'll see when it was definitely uh as well yeah it was definitely a retro video game like uh atari 2600 oh really okay sort of era game um gotcha so you know there's that i i am curious what the magic rules are in this universe though like because obviously <laughs> there's magic this board game exists sure that prop by the way that thing was yeah. cool oh that was it is really cool it's one of those things where uh as soon as the movie's over i'm kind of thinking do i i kind of want to 3d print something like that Ooh, that'd be good. <laughs> use the magnets to make the pieces move or 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 uh um, a little, uh, you know, a clear bubble piece for the the text to appear under. You could do that. Slip an iPad under there or something. Right. Have the, have the text appear. Um, that would be really, really cool. Again, probably something that um is out there. Something's pro- somebody's probably already made one of these. But oh, I would, I would assume so. The prop yeah. was uh highly sought after. It sold on eBay for sixty thousand dollars or something for like a really? screen used version. That's amazing that they would allow the kind of the central prop item unless they had a bunch of them and which you're saying that they had this was one of the one of the ones they used on screen so they must have had uh, quite a few but the fact that they would let one of the props go on ebay as opposed to like a you know that's what a planet hollywood or a sotheby's uh yeah uh, auction or something like that Um, that was what i read was ebay um but it was definitely uh mm-hmm. yeah, Jumanji board from the film sold on eBay for sixty thousand eight hundred dollars. Wow, wow. 
Oh, it'd be a good woodworking uh, project. Too. Oh yeah, if we get uh, get the woodworker, get the wood whisperer uh, involved. Oh, there you go. In making something like this, that'd be great. <laughs> I'll 3D print the little uh, lens, you know, the the lens holder and a place to put the iPad. He just needs to chip out the uh, uh, the surface of the board and the little pieces on the on yeah, there the you elephant. Go. Yeah. <laughs> the dice, like the the dice, the dice they had, right. were really cool. They almost looked like they were made out of bone. Right. Yeah, and I noticed. Uh, um, was it the six? Not a typical six configuration, like the the middle two on the six. Usually, it's like three rows of three, mm-hmm. but it's like. Uh, um, oh yeah, uh, kind of like a, an hourglass kind of shape. Yeah, it was a little different. It, it gave it uh, an interesting look. I just wonder if there's other artifacts in this universe like that because. The the um, author wrote a second book called Zathura, which mm-hmm. got made into a movie. It was actually an early John Favreau movie, um, mm. and it was sort of a sequel to this, because the end of the book, the kids take. So in the book, the kids the there is no Alan, and it's the the brother okay. and sister, and they find the game in a park, bring it home, play it. All this crazy stuff goes on. They take it back to the park, and the book ends with their neighbors coming back from the park all excited because they found this game. And those two characters end up being the characters in Zathura. So I'm just curious, like, what other kind of magical things there are. Because obviously this game, at the end of yeah. it, goes across the ocean. Right. Ends up in the sand in, uh, sounds like, France. That's what it sounds like. The, the way the people were talking as they're walking down the beach, yeah. Um, oh, I was trying to think. There was something else. Oh, the gun, the scene in the gun store was one of those that <laughs> yeah how well does that does that track in uh, a 2020 world right he walks <laughs> how about in this gun <laughs> yeah <laughs> he walks in with that big elephant gun they're like uh yeah they don't make ammo for this anymore all right then i need something new well there's a waiting period and he just throws down gold and the guy's like how about this and then oh the oh that was the other one that made me pause was the postal worker joke you're not a postal oh, worker, right. are you? Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, that one didn't age very well. Too right, and a little too soon, even mm-hmm. for then. Right? right. I mean, that was right in the midst of people going postal, so it was kind of like, oh, yeah, people yeah. died. That's not super funny. <laughs> no, not really. Um, yeah, that yeah. that scene was like his wife's reaction when he's like, mm-hmm. "Honey," and she just puts that other gun down to run over and close the, you know, flip the close sign. Like that was one of those also that felt like this is a movie, you know, in quotes. Yeah. Right. So right. I just remembered that. Um, Very good. So, yeah. So that I'm was glad you made me watch this, man. Well, I'm yeah. glad that you watched it and thanks for being on. This was fun. I'm, uh, Oh, my, my pleasure. It feels like I've, I owe you, you know, for, for all the hell I put you through on America's Next Top Podcaster. I feel like I owe each of the uh, contestants, like, whatever they ever need in the future. Well, I will say that uh, for all the hell that we did go through, that was a fantastic experience, and it it really helped to shape this show and make it better. Oh, so, cool. Well. And I, I thank you for that show in general um, oh, because it's dude, just a it's ton of pleasure. fun. and Yeah. It helped uh, helped all of us. I've had almost everybody from season two on here at this point. I, I noticed that. Yeah, I saw been, <laughs> I think the only people we left. Member of the Discord. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only people left are like, uh, well, actually, uh, next week I have Bobby on. Um, okay. Good. And Melissa. The week after that, I got to get a hold of David. Um, I think he's oh. the the last holdout. 
Yeah, he's like, you know, you, good luck. You got to go through uh, agents and I know and uh, receptionists and things like that to finally get hold of him now these days. Have you had any of the judges on? Um, you know, not yet. Okay. Um, okay. So that would be another one. I did uh, have was did Dunaway coach this second season? I don't remember now. Um, no, I don't think I ever no. brought him in. I brought him and Randy in to do the movie one the first uh, season, but oh, okay. I don't think he came in for the second season. Because I've had Dunaway on, so okay. I'm working my way through the film sack cast as well. Wow. And see, Dunaway's seen everything. What did you find that D- Dunaway hadn't seen? Training Day. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I actually had him <laughs> and Alex on. Jeez, Al- make, him, make him watch something really good. <laughs> yeah, that was my Oscar month. Um, yeah. So, and that was that was the the third month or the third week and it was at that point the easiest movie of the the four to watch because <laughs> yeah. i had watched yeah. monster right. the week before that so like, All right, I, need, I need something lighter how about training yeah. day <laughs> Tra- training day is not terribly light anyway, no it's but, not <laughs> but certainly lighter than monster wow uh but yeah and and i was surprised i found something that dunaway hadn't seen so I had yeah, to jump that, on that. that always that's a, that's a thing that we always get on film sake. Not only has he seen it, he has the Blu-ray special edition of it sitting right, on his shelf right next to him. You know, oh, yeah, that's, that's typical Dunaway. <laughs> oh well, Very thank you for coming on. This was a ton of fun. Uh, oh, Travis, well, my pleasure, man. We'll have to do it again. I'm uh, off to start Absolutely. pestering Scott here sometime soon. See if I can yeah whittle my way into his schedule. Listen, I'll probably see the birdcage before next time, but uh, have me back on anytime. And I know there's stuff like super popular stuff that uh, that uh, everybody else has seen but me. I just know it. Oh, yeah. It, everybody's got their list. There's plenty. But it was a ton of fun having you on here. Now, you, you do the morning stream for people that mm-hmm. are watching or listening to this that don't know. You do that uh, four or five days a week. Five days a week, uh, four days in the morning, one, one uh, fifth day goes in the afternoon. Uh, that's uh, frogpants.com slash TMS kind of gets you to where everybody, wherever you can watch that. Coverville uh, twice a week, Wednesday afternoon for a full cover show, like uh, independent musicians who do amazing, amazing cover songs that transform the originals into something brand new. And then uh, a new thing that I've been doing for the last uh, several months called Guess the Connection on Fridays six songs they all have some weird connection if you figure out what they have in common uh then you win a prize yeah those are fun um because the connection is always easier than we think it's going to be right yeah i know i love and there's always somebody you know who guesses something like songs about falling in love it's like (laughs) oh geez that would be you know 99 percent of my music library is songs about falling in love or falling out of love but uh yeah <laughs> but yeah um i definitely Excellent. enjoy catching coverville when i can so if you're oh, listening cool. to this and you you don't already uh follow brian go for it because it's worth it he he does some good stuff and the morning stream has kept me sane during this quarantine <laughs> it really has yeah so um, it's, it's done the same for us you don't yeah you guys don't realize that uh it's just as important for us <laughs> oh i believe it the regular regular and normalcy and everything even though life didn't change dramatically for podcasters uh, who work out of their basements right now, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but for else, yeah. Yeah. And, and I do this show uh, weekly. Um, I, we live stream right now uh, and it's usually 8 PM um, Sunday nights. We did a little bit earlier today because that's what we were Thank doing. Um, yeah. And uh, the shows come out we on Wednesdays. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, comes out on Wednesdays as a podcast. Um, 
we're uh, it's available anywhere you can get podcasts. The easiest way to find it is to go to tvstravis.com and subscribe there. However, if you do um, listen to us through Apple Podcasts or something, leave a leave a rating um, and a and a review. That helps kind of bubble us up to the surface a little bit more. Us, I say us. It's me and the dog. So, <laughs> well, I heard he's, a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. He's my co-producer. Um, but uh, every week, so next week, I'm going to have Bobby Frankenberger on. We're going to be talking Highlander. He's never seen cool. Highlander before. This nice. one for me is an, a, a kind of important episode too, because Highlander was the movie that spawned the idea of this show. Oh, really? Okay, because you ran into somebody who hadn't seen it, and you thought, "Oh, all right, I want, we're going to see it. And I'm going to ask you about it." Exactly. Yeah, and uh, so um, that's going to be a fun one. After that, I've got Melissa Kruger on, and we're going to talk um, Scream. She's never seen that, so oh, cool. I'm looking forward to that she, one too. Um, with a last name like Scream, she, or uh, with a last name like Kruger, she would have seen every uh, uh, horror film. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that won't come up at all. No, I'm sure it won't. <laughs> Not one bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so next week, uh, stop back um, and uh, hear me and Bobby talk about. Highlander. And until then, um, I always like to sign off by saying, enjoy your movies and, um, pardon me, everybody, be excellent to each other. This has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure. And this year, we need your help more than ever. Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>